Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. Joining me once again is Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall. Jason, great to have you back on the podcast. What an interesting, exciting day. And I want to say, I think we're, we're breaking a streak here. We're breaking a streak. I'm not going to be talking with you about anything to do with oil stocks. Yeah, I mean, well, oil's above zero now, so so we can we can uh, <laughs> we, I guess we clearly don't have anything to talk about. Uh, uh, yeah, today we'll be talking about uh, renewable energy and specifically Enphase Energy, which is a company uh, we've talked about. Uh, in the past on the show. Uh, yesterday on Wednesday, Prescience Point Capital Management released an over 50-page long uh, short report on the company, which sent the stock down over 25% on the day Wednesday. Uh, in trading today, it's back up about 16%. Uh, Jason, before we get into the substance of that short report, you know, just, just high level, when a company you owns has a short report come out on it and you see the stock fall like this, what do you do? How do you respond? So I think it's it's it, it kind of gets to the core of being a successful long-term investor, right? You, one of the hardest things to do is to fight your very human nature to act, right? You feel like you have to do something, right? Whether it's it's sell to get out before the pain <clears throat> gets worse, uh, and that happens to a lot of people, or it's time to double down, right? You know, you're 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 I'm I'm buying. What do these idiots know? Um, you know, it's 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 an emotional thing because you own this. This is a business you own a part of, right? So you feel some urge to do something. So I think for me, the first thing that I have to do is force myself to stop and breathe, and then start, you know, actually actually figuring out if there's any validity to uh to this to this this short this attack this thesis that this is a bad company a broken stock whatever it is right so that's that's where you kind of have to start um that's something you and i've talked a lot about over the past 18 hours or so yeah it's when you own stock in a company it's like you know that's your team you're rooting for them and when somebody comes out and attacks them i see you're wearing your your georgia bulldogs hat as we record right now it's like when somebody comes out and says you know alabama did some kind of recruiting violation i'm like there's no way uh that that could happen and you got to have to fight that that instinct um because i think at the end of the day uh whatever your opinion is on short sellers the the fact that there's a group of people out there looking uh uh, for for information that that kind of disconfirms a bull thesis on a company that folks are putting that type of work in provides some valuable information uh, to the market that, that we can use. Uh, I mean, what, what's your opinion on short sellers and the role they play in the market, Jason? So I, I, this is my, this, I have an opinion that's evolved, <clears throat> that's evolved over the years. Uh, as, as I've become a more experienced investor, um, I, I've, I've come to believe that short selling is a viable and reasonable and completely ethical part of, of the market. Um, I, I absolutely do. Um, that, that doesn't mean that every short seller is ethical, just as every buyer is not necessarily uh, ethical, right? There are plenty of people that are pumping uh, bad businesses uh, to get a short-term pump uh, gain so they can then sell that business. So, so there's bad actors on both sides of the ledger on buying and selling. Uh, but in, in general, I think short selling is, is it's an important and uh, viable part of, the, part of the stock market. 
Yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you have to assess uh, a short thesis just like you would uh, assess a long thesis and, and determine uh, whether that information that's getting introduced is, is something that's valid that you should act on uh, or something that you can comfortably uh, um, ignore. I kind of came up with a kind of a four-step process um, that I would follow uh, whenever a short thesis would come out on my company. The first step is read it, right? Uh, you can't disconfirm someone's thesis without knowing what their thesis is, reading it and understanding it. And so that's the step two is try to understand what their argument is. And I think it's important to, to note if, if you're having trouble deciphering their argument that there's, there's two possibilities of, of what could be going on there. Either their argument makes no sense and it's nonsense, or you, know, you just don't understand something that's going on uh, uh, with, with the company. And so that's why it's important upfront before you buy the stock in the first place to really do your research so you have a framework uh, to, to analyze this type of new information um, that comes in. But once you understand the short thesis and the claims that they're making, and have you know done your analysis and determined uh, the validity of it, then you need to incorporate that that new information into your thesis. If you think it's valid but it doesn't change uh, your long-term thesis for holding the stock, then maybe you continue to hold. If you think, oh, this is you know all of a sudden this company is is a fraud and maybe I should uh, you know change my exposure. After after you've kind of incorporated all that information, you need to choose on, on what action to take. I think in most cases, and I think Jason kind of alluded to this. Uh, the best course of action is probably to do nothing. Um, but without considering the information in the first place and really trying to assess it uh, for yourself, you really can't determine whether it's something to act on or not. So it's really important right. to understand and, and analyze uh, the thesis for yourself before you dismiss it. Yeah. And I think it's just it's it's in a way it's kind of it's it's a little more of a distilled version of the way that you need to treat every stock that you own. Right. And, and anytime there's new information, um, you have to you have to work that information into your thesis and act accordingly, right? So when the information changes, um, you, you're sometimes that means your your thesis changes. That's I mean that doesn't it doesn't have to be uh, a short, right? It could it could just be you know the fundamental opportunities change or the business is not executing, right? There's plenty of reasons um, that, that 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 your thesis can change, and it's data, not dogma, right? It's so easy to fall in love with your investments, and and anchor on on that investment as as a great investment and refuse to even consider new information and that's and that's 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 a great way to fail as an investor so yeah so absolutely sure so in that light when it comes to considering new information and evaluating uh the validity or not of a short report let's get into uh this short report on in phase energy from prescience point uh capital management jason just just high level what are the main points of this uh, thesis, this argument that they're making about Enphase? So at its at its core, uh, Prescient's point is is saying that they're uh, and they're they're saying that they've actually done investigations, private investigations on the ground um, in India, where a large portion of the company has uh, finance. Uh, some of its finance operations are set up is that as much as $200 million or so 200, a little more than $200 million of revenue um, and gross margin expansion over the past several years is fabricated. I mean, they're, they're, they're point blank saying that it's not real revenue. Um, uh, and they're, they're, they're underpinning it uh, to the offshoring of the, of, of a lot of their accounting to India <clears throat> at the end of uh, 2018 uh, which is when their current CEO came in um, <clears throat> and made some changes in the organization. Uh, part of their argument is a lot of uh, other executives and um, middle management that were brought in by um, 
these new executives from prior organizations they worked with claiming that they're yes men uh, and that they're loyal to one another. Uh, even going so far as to say that the former CEO of, uh, help me out here, Sun Edison? Sun Edison, yes, sir. Um, is basically pulling the strings in the background uh, and coordinating a lot of what's happening. So there's a lot of innuendo, a lot of rhetoric um, behind it. Uh, they're using data, like looking at market share gains from uh, big uh, industry analysts that, that follow uh, the, the, <clears throat> the solar industry to try to demonstrate how it's impossible that the revenues that they're claiming um, are legitimate. Um, I think that's kind of the main things, right? Those are, those are basically the, the, under, the underpinnings of, uh, of their argument uh, for a target price of delisted. Uh. <laughs> right. C certainly, uh, w when you say you think the company is going to be delisted, uh, that, that a large portion of, of their revenue um, is allegedly fictional. I mean, they're, they're essentially arguing that they're going to follow a similar path to, to what folks think is going to happen to Luck and Coffee, where a large subset of their revenue uh, w w was allegedly uh, uh, fake. And then the company is, is now in the process um, of, of being delisted. I, I do think it's worth Driving into uh, the basis of that um, of that allegation of inflated revenue, uh, you mentioned uh, this idea of third-party market share reports that the short seller cites a report from from Wood McKenzie, uh, who who is uh, widely recognized as the the, the leading third-party analyst when it comes to to this industry and Absolutely. specifically uh, specifically uh, in phases industry is the solar uh, micro inverters main competitor uh, is Solar Edge, and so if you look at uh, market share uh, numbers reported by Wood McKenzie uh, over the past uh, uh, several years, um, particularly the past couple of years, Infa, uh, excuse me, Solar Edge has been gaining uh, uh, market share uh, while, while Enphase's market share has remained relatively flat. So, uh, so over the last year, Enphase roughly doubled its U.S. sales every quarter, but its market share if you look at the market share data, remained roughly flat. And, and, and so if Enphase isn't gaining market share and its revenue is doubling, then maybe you think uh, the overall solar market is growing. However, if you go back to that Wood McKenzie data over that same time period, the solar, the, the solar market only grew uh, 12% over the period. And so, if you, and so it, by, by the, the analysis that the short seller is saying that uh, there's no way Enphase's revenue could have grown um, as quickly as they're saying. But Jason, there is a caveat to that, as you mentioned. A little one. Yeah, just a small one. Um, uh, back in 2018, I think, um, <clears throat> Enphase reached the deal with uh, SunPower uh, to acquire. At the time, SunPower uh, had an in-house microinverter business. It was making its own microinverters. Uh, the company made the decision as part of its broader strategy to kind of uh, shift away from a fully integrated model to being more focused just on the panel business um, and, and sold its uh, microinverter business uh, to Enphase. Uh, and Enphase, in return, became uh, uh, SunPower's um, exclusive provider of microinverters. For people that don't know, um, SunPower is the, is the uh, I think they might be, if they're, not, if they're not the largest, they're certainly one of the largest suppliers of solar panels to the U.S. residential uh, and commercial um, solar, solar market. They're a major, major installer. So that is a substantial portion of market share that they have. 
that Wood McKenzie excludes. Uh, it's not included in that market share data. Um, it's it's uh, it's a massive massive portion of of Enphase's business and and could easily make up you know a substantial portion of its growth. And so this isn't something the short seller addressed in the in the short report. No, because it was it was completely was completely absent. As a matter of fact, um, it's something that that I noticed going through um, <clears throat> the companies this this uh, the short seller firms Twitter. Uh, they had a long Twitter thread that they dropped the same time they dropped this report. And one of the tweets was this, was this data. And I looked at him like, well, hang on a minute here. And then <laughs> it's actually right there on the screenshot of the data. It specifically says, Wood McKenzie says they exclude um, SunPower uh, installations from that market share. Um, and that, I mean, that's, a, that's an outsized portion of, it's not a majority of their sales, but it's certainly a plurality. It certainly is the single largest source of, uh, of microinverter sales that the company has. Yeah, I think so. You mentioned that that, that issue when it comes to uh, the, the Sun Power part of the business. I think I think another thing that I, I was surprised by uh, in the short report is that one of the the main parts of the the growth thesis or the, the bull thesis that you hear folks uh, uh, will point out for Enphase, particularly over the past couple of years, has been there. There's been a change in the electrical standards that, are, that have uh, changed the requirements uh, of just the number of inverters you need relative to, to solar panels that you install, which is really uh, a provided a tailwind uh, for Enphase's business as well as, as, as some of its competitors. They didn't really bring that up in the short report either. No, it wasn't that they didn't really bring it up. They didn't mention it. I mean, it was completely unmentioned. As a matter of fact, if you look at the timeline that they, that they laid out to, to, to kind of <clears throat> as the foundation of this thesis, uh, it was tied to their, their CEO when their CEO came on board. Um, and the thing is that that timing corresponded to the change in U.S. electrical code that essentially made Enphase and um, SolarEdge, do, uh, do, uh, uh, for all practical purposes, a duopoly in supplying the U.S. <coughs> uh, distributed solar market. So residential, real, uh, residential solar and commercial rooftop solar. I mean, they're, they're the two companies that provide, I don't know, maybe 90 percent of the 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 panel level electronics um, and you know between the two um, solar edge is the is the larger has been the larger for five years um, in terms of total revenues and it has more market share um, but this so so they they completely ignored the single greatest factor behind their revenue growth um, over the past several years and painted a picture of it being directly tied to the CEO coming in. And that, that's just, that's a huge gaping hole uh, in something that is the foundation of their thesis. Right. I, I tend to agree with that. And that doesn't, that doesn't invalidate uh, these other claims. And I, I think when, right. I, when I look at, at some of the claims they make around market share and the, and the Wood McKenzie data, and, and when you compare Enphase's revenue to, to what, what SolarEdge has been able to achieve over the past year, I do think there are some inconsistencies that do look a little funny to me. And I think, I think definitely uh, a merit further investigation. But I will say when I look at how this short report was drafted, it wasn't drafted in a way that was as convincing to me as it could have been. Uh, I think for a couple reasons. One, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, there, there are some of these, I, I think, worthy uh, a bullish counter arguments that just aren't addressed with, that I think could have been. Uh, uh, and then I think as well, uh, if you look at the short report, I think it, it's only about 40 pages in um, um, that the report really gets into the, the substance of, of some of these accounting allegations. And, and a lot of the front part of the report is front loaded with a lot of these questions around around management and around their, uh, their the offshoring of their of their uh, of their accounting staff. And a lot of this character evidence. And so you, you, it's like a good 
20 pages of character evidence before we get into the substance uh, of the argument, which for me as a reader, when you don't lead with your best argument and you don't address uh, uh, counter arguments, it's not as convincing as it could be otherwise. And that's not to say that these allegations aren't valid and don't, don't uh, uh, deserve a further investigation, but, but that is something that uh, raised my eyebrow a little bit as to how much I should trust this report or not. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, again, to your point, and I'll, I'll repeat it, uh, it, it doesn't invalidate it, but it certainly calls into question um, uh, how, how much energy and effort they really put into really researching the industry, researching the company, researching its results, when they don't even mention the single two biggest catalysts to Enphase's results, real or otherwise, over the past two years, and that's the change in the U.S. electrical code and their landing, you know, one, one of the largest, um, you know, solar panel uh, manufacturers in, in, in North America uh, as, as their largest customer, right? When you don't even bring those two things up, it just, it's, it really calls into question all of the other things, because there's just there's there's such a lack of clear evidence um, to 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 really support um, the, the the short thesis that they present. Again, it doesn't it doesn't say that they're wrong or that there's nothing there. It's just a lot harder to have any credibility when when you when there's a, a, a lack of even being ready to talk about those other things. Right. I, I think I think so. So what it would comes up away to me as is a lot of allegations of things that look funny, but it, it's hard for me to pull a through line that, that ties it all together that, that you know, uh, uh, fundamentally makes sense in the context of the rest that's going rest that's going on with the business. And like I said, that doesn't mean uh, that there's not a valid argument there. And, and I would really, you know, if, if the folks from, from Preston's Point are here listening and, you know, have, would, would I'd love to engage with you all and get some more feedback on, on your thoughts there. Um, so all that to say, I would say for, for listeners, definitely read the report, this is a 50-page report that we cannot cover in its entirety uh, on this podcast, but we've tried to cover um, the main points. Moving on, uh, Jason, I know you're a shareholder in Enphase. How are you responding to this report as someone who owns the stock? Obviously, we have trading rules, so you're not going to be able to uh, transact in it in the near term. But but as you're allowed to, how will you respond to this report as a shareholder? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we actually, you know, one of the things you and I've talked about is, you know, I, I follow the market pretty closely every day because it's my profession, right? Because I write about these companies and I cover it. Uh, but uh, I'm on the West Coast, so my, my day ten, tends to start after the market has opened. Um, and I actually discovered uh, this when I was logging onto my brokerage account because I've actually been considering, uh, I've been considering lightening my in-phase position a little bit um, just be, because the valuation has gotten so incredibly, so incredibly stretched. Right. So you look at you look at uh, the stocks up, I don't know, 800 percent or something like that over the past couple of years. Um, I, it's, I've done incredibly well by it. Um, but I just I, there, there, there are some things that have kind of got me wanting to create a little more cash in my portfolio, some other ideas that I'm really interested in. And this one just happened to be you know, on my list of ones that I was thinking about, um, you know, just lightening a very uh, just a very small amount. Uh, when I saw this, when I saw the stock was down, you know, twenty-five percent at one point, and I did uh, some quick reading and found this report. I immediately decided to do nothing for the time being. I needed to back up. I needed to read the report. I needed to study it. 
I needed to give the company some time to respond if it, if it indeed even chooses to respond um, and then just kind of reevaluates uh, the, the whole thesis. So I'll, I'll say this, right? So anyone who has, a, has, has invested you know, any substantial portion of, 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 uh, of their money in, in phase and done incredibly well over, over the past couple of years, it's just about hard to have not done well. I mean, I, I could understand somebody lightening a little, like I said, I was considering doing it myself. But with that said, um, yeah, it's incredibly richly valued by just about every valuation metric you could, you could find. Um, but even though I'm consider, I've considered doing it myself, my experience in the past is it's almost always been a mistake for me to sell a stock simply based on valuation if it's a stock that I intend to hold for the long term, right? So I think the key thing to remember within phase and like the thesis that underpins it for me as a long-term investor is not the fact that right now it's a duopoly with, <clears throat> with um, SolarEdge in, in, in the US and that it has this great position to make a ton of money and be very, very profitable in this market while it has minimal competition. You know, that's gonna change. That's not a permanent competitive uh, differentiator, right? It's just not, it's not a, <clears throat> a permanent competitive advantage. But what it's allowing the company to do is accelerate its investments in like energy storage. So it's able to kind of start diversifying its, its business and create some optionality into another major, major growth uh, market that's going to drive renewables, you know, over the next decade. But again, looking beyond North America, companies expanding into Europe, it's expanding into Africa. There are tons of places in the world where these panel level electronics are going to be really, really important. So it really, my, you know, my, my, even after reading this report, you know, I'm leaning towards, you know, my long-term thesis being, you know, really unchanged. Um, again, pending, you know, obviously what, you know, the, the, the outfall is from, from the company and if, if they're able to give us any more information, if the SEC decides to investigate, I just, again, I see a little bit of smoke, but mostly steam and from the hot air. Um, but, but again, my, my long-term thesis really hasn't changed and, and I expect that Enphase will probably remain um, a, a substantial part of my portfolio going forward. Yeah, Jason, you mentioned that duopoly with SolarEdge, you know, that these are the two predominant ways that you can invest in the growth of this trend, at least in the U.S. I'm sure there's other opportunities uh, to do so elsewhere. Does this change your, your calculus of, of whether you would prefer one over the other if you just wanted exposure to this, this trend, this growth area? Well, if I was, was going to buy today, I would certainly buy SolarEdge before I bought Enphase. Um, <clears throat> simply, again, it's based on, so it's easy to, to look at it as two coins and there's one side and there's the other side. It's like, it's obvious. Well, if the stock's overvalued, you should be selling, right? Why, why would you want to own if it's overvalued? And I don't really, again, because I'm, my sell point isn't today. Like I'm not, my investments are meant to, to pay for my retirement, right? They're to pay for my kid's college. Those are things that are 15, 20, 25 years in the future. So I'm thinking about it more from the perspective of just when I'm acting as a buyer, I will hold a stock that's overvalued, but it doesn't necessarily always make sense to pay today's price for that company. Between the two, I would buy um, SolarEdge today. Number one, the valuation I think is, is, is better, but also I think it's a little bit stronger business in terms of their history of generating profits, their history of generating positive cash flows. They have a few more irons in the fire. They're also getting into the energy storage business, but they're also getting into the uh, vehicle electrification 
business. So they own a, 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 a EV powertrain business. They make some components for powertrains. They make uh, EV recharging stations. So they do several other things. They do battery backup. So like, um, so not just energy storage, but also like think about remote battery backup and that kind of thing too. So, so it's a little bit more diversified business. So I like the optionality a little better. And, and I like the, I like the valuation. If I'm, if I'm buying today, I, I would buy solar edge first. All right. So it's so a big takeaway then. If, if you own Enphase today, this is, this short report doesn't look like a reason to sell right now, but if you're investing new money as between Enphase and solar edge, solar edge is the winner. I think so. That's fair. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Jason, thanks as always for hopping on the show and sharing all your knowledge with us. You're, you're welcome, Nick. You're, I noticed you're skipping, you're skipping the most important part of this uh, entire conversation, right? What, what is that? So you know who Greg McElroy, right? You know that, who that is, right? You wanna, National championship winning uh, uh, Alabama quarterback. Yeah, he said Georgia has a better quarterback. Well, that's okay. We got we got the better everything else. So we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it happen. We got the better head coach. So so uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Hey, I, you know, I just hope we get some college football this year. I, you know, it looks like Amen. the SEC is all in. You know, come hell or high water, we're we're gonna play. You know, whether you think that's smart or not, um, certainly part of the culture down there. And I, you know, I'm ready for some college football. I need some, I need sports. Period. But but college football, uh, most especially. Agreed wholeheartedly. How about this? Let's see if we can get our bosses to approve you and I doing a special edition Georgia Alabama week. Let's see if we can't do a special SEC industry focus. Let's do it. I need to get down to Athens. I've only been there once. So that'd be fun. On on site. Yeah. On site. Maybe we can set up from the we can set up from the Tate Student Center and we can record it. All right, folks, right into industryfocus at fool.com to command that the powers that be at the Bali Fool send Jason and I uh, to the Alabama Georgia uh, SEC championship game, hopefully uh, uh, this year. Jason, we'll uh, hope to have you on again sometime soon. Make it happen. Sounds good. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Kyle Carruthers for making it sound so nice. Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on.